Chapter 10 of Dread, A Tale of the Great Dismal Swamp by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Dread, Chapter 10 The Preparation the excitement produced by the arrival of Tiff and the fitting out of Millie to the cottage had produced a most favorable diversion in Nina's mind from her own especial perplexities. Active and buoyant, she threw herself at once into whatever happened to come uppermost on the tide of events. So, having seen the wagon dispatched, she sat down to breakfast in high spirits. "'Aunt Nesbitt, I declare I was so interested in that old man.' I intended to have a pony after breakfast and ride over there. I thought you were expecting company. Well, that's one reason now why I'd like to be off. Do I want to sit all primmed up, smiling and smirking, and running to the window to see if my gracious Lord is coming? No, I won't do that to please any of them. If I happen to fancy to be out riding, I will be out riding. I think, said Aunt Nesbit, that the hovels of these miserable creatures are no proper place for a lady of your position in life. My position in life? I don't see what that has to do with it. My position in life enables me to do anything I please, a liberty which I take pretty generally. And then, really, I couldn't help feeling rather sadly about it, because that old Tiff there, I believe that's his name, told me that the woman had been of a good Virginia family. Very likely she may have been just such another wild girl as I am, and thought as little about bad times and of dying as I do. So I couldn't help feeling sad for her. It really came over me when I was walking in the garden, such a beautiful morning as it was, the birds all singing and the dew all glittering and shining on the flowers. Why, Aunt, the flowers really seemed alive. It seemed as though I could hear them breathing and hear their hearts beating like mine. And all of a sudden I heard the most wild, mournful singing over in the woods. It wasn't anything very beautiful, you know, but it was so wild and strange. She is dead and gone to heaven. She is dead and gone to heaven. And pretty soon I saw the funniest old wagon, I don't know what to call it, and this queer old black man in it, with an old white hat and surtout on, and a pair of great funny-looking spectacles on his nose. I went to the fence to see who he was, and he came up and spoke to me, made the most respectful bow, you ought to have seen it. And then, poor fellow, he told me how his mistress was lying dead, with the children around her and nobody in the house. The poor old creature, he actually cried, and I felt so sorry for him. He seemed to be proud of his dead mistress, in spite of her poverty. "'Where do they live?' said Mrs. Nesbitt. "'Why, he told me over in the pine woods near the swamp.' "'Oh,' said Mrs. Nesbitt, "'I dare say it's that Cripps family that's squatted in the pine woods, a most miserable set, all of them liars and thieves.' If I had known who it was, I'm sure I shouldn't have let Millie go over. Such families oughtn't to be encouraged. There oughtn't to be a thing to be done for them. We shouldn't encourage them to stay in the neighborhood. They always will steal from off the plantations and corrupt the Negroes 
and get drunk and everything else that's bad there's never a woman of decent character among them that ever i heard of and if you were my daughter i shouldn't let you go near them well i'm not your daughter thank fortune said nina whose graces always rapidly declined in controversies with her aunt and so i shall do as i please and i don't know what you pious people talk so for for christ went with publicans and sinners i'm sure well said aunt nesbitt the bible says we mustn't cast pearls before swine and when you've lived to be as old as i am you'll know more than you do now everybody knows that you can't do anything with these people you can't give them bibles nor tracts for they can't read i've tried it sometimes visiting them and talking to them but it didn't do them any good i've always thought there ought to be a law passed to make em all slaves and then there would be somebody to take care of them well i can't see said nina how it's their fault there isn't any school where they could send their children if they wanted to learn and then if they want to work there's nobody who wants to hire them so what can they do i'm sure i don't know said aunt nesbitt in that tone which generally means i don't care all i know is that i want them to get away from the neighborhood giving to them is just like putting into a bag with holes i'm sure i put myself to a great inconvenience on their account to-day for if there's anything i do hate it is having things irregular and to-day is the day for clear starching the caps and such a good bright sunny day and to-morrow or any other day of the week it may rain always puts me all out to have things that i've laid out to do put out of their regular order i'd been willing enough to have sent over some old things but why they must needs take milly's time just as if the funeral couldn't have got ready without her these funerals are always miserable drunken times with them and then who knows she may catch the smallpox or something or other there's never any knowing what these people die of they die of just such things as we do said nina they have that in common with us at any rate yes but there's no reason for risking our lives as i know of especially for such people when they don't do any good why aunt what do you know against these folks have you ever known of their doing anything wicked oh i don't know that i know anything against this family in particular but i know the whole race these squatters i've known them ever since i was a girl in virginia everybody that knows anything knows exactly what they are there isn't any help for them unless as i said before they were made slaves and then they could be kept decent you may go to see them if you like but i don't want my arrangements to be interfered with on their account mrs nesbitt was one of those quietly persisting people whose yielding is like the stretching of an india-rubber band giving way only to a violent pull and going back to the same place when the force is withdrawn she seldom refused favors that were urged with any degree of importunity not because her heart was touched but simply because she seemed not to have force enough to refuse and whatever she granted was always followed by a series of subdued lamentations over the necessity which had wrung them from her nina's nature was so vehement and imperious when excited that it was a disagreeable fatigue to cross her mrs nesbitt therefore made amends by bemoaning herself as we have seen nina started up hastily on seeing her pony brought round to the door 
and soon arrayed in her riding dress she was cantering through the pine woods in high spirits the day was clear and beautiful the floor of the woodland path was paved with a thick and cleanly carpet of the fallen pine leaves and harry was in attendance with her mounted on another horse and riding but a very little behind not so much so but what his mistress could if she would keep up a conversation with him you know this old tiff harry oh yes very well a very good excellent creature and very much superior of his master in most respects well he says his mistress came of a good family i shouldn't wonder said harry she always had a delicate appearance very different from people in their circumstances generally the children too are remarkably pretty well-behaved children and it's a pity they couldn't be taught something and not grow up and go on these miserable ways of these poor whites why don't anybody ever teach them said nina well miss nina you know how it is everybody has his own work and business to attend to there are no schools for them to go to there is no work for them to do in fact there don't seem to be any place for them in society boys generally grow up to drink and swear and as for the girls they are of not much account so it goes on from generation to generation this is so strange and so different from what it is in the northern states why all the children go to school there the very poorest people's children why a great many of the first men there were poor children why can't there be some such thing here oh because people are settled in such a scattering way they can't have schools all the land that's good for anything is taken up for large estates and then these poor folks that are scattered up and down in between it's nobody's business to attend to them and they can't attend to themselves and so they grow up and nobody knows how they live and everybody seems to think it a pity they are in the world i've seen those sometimes that would be glad to do something if they could find anything to do planters don't want them on their places they'd rather have their own servants if one of them wants to be a blacksmith or a carpenter there's no encouragement most of the large estates have their own carpenters and blacksmiths and there's nothing for them to do unless it is keeping dogs to hunt negroes or these little low stores where they sell whiskey and take what's stolen from the plantations sometimes a smart one gets a place as overseer on a plantation why i've heard of their coming so low as actually to sell their children to traders to get a bit of bread what miserable creatures but do you suppose it can be possible that a woman of any respectable family can have married a man of this sort well i don't know miss nina that might be you see good families sometimes degenerate and when they get too poor to send their children off to school or keep any teachers for them they run down very fast this man is not bad-looking and he really is a person who if he had had any way open to him might have been a smart man and made something of himself and family and when he was young and better-looking i shouldn't wonder if an uneducated girl who had never been off the plantation might have liked him he was fully equal i dare say to her brothers you see miss nina when money goes in this part of the country everything goes with it and when a family is not rich enough to have everything in itself it goes down very soon at any rate i pity the poor things said nina i don't despise them as aunt nesbitt does 
here nina observing the path clear and uninterrupted for some distance under the arching pines struck her horse into a canter and they rode on for some distance without speaking soon the horse's feet splashed and pattered on the cool pebbly bottom of a small shallow stream which flowed through the woods this stream went meandering among the pines like a spangled ribbon sometimes tying itself into loops leaving open spots almost islands of green graced by its waters such a little spot now opened to the view of the two travellers it was something less than a quarter of an acre in extent entirely surrounded by the stream save only a small neck of about four feet which connected it to the mainland here a place had been cleared and laid off into a garden which it was evident was carefully tended the log cabin which stood in the middle was far from having the appearance of wretchedness which nina had expected it was almost entirely a dense mass of foliage being covered with the intermingled drapery of the virginia creeper and the yellow jessamine two little borders each side of the house were blooming with flowers around the little island the pine trees closed in unbroken semicircle and the brook meandered away through them to lose itself eventually in that vast forest of swampy land which girdles the whole carolina shore the whole air of the place was so unexpectedly inviting in its sylvan stillness and beauty that nina could not help checking her horse and exclaiming i'm sure it's a pretty place they can't be such very forsaken people after all oh that's all tiff's work said harry he takes care of everything outside and in while the man is off after nobody knows what you'd be perfectly astonished to see how the old creature manages he sews and he knits and works the garden does the housework and teaches the children it's a fact you'll notice that they haven't the pronunciation or the manners of these wild white children and i take it to be all tiff's watchfulness for that creature hasn't one particle of selfishness in him he just identifies himself with his mistress and her children by this time tiff had perceived their approach and came out to assist them in dismounting the lord above bless you miss gordon for coming to see my poor missus ah she is lying there just as beautiful just as she was the very day she was married all her young looks come back to her and milly she done laid her out beautiful lord i's wantin somebody to come and look at her because she has got good blood if she is poor she is none of your common sort of poor whites miss nina just come in come in and look at her nina stepped into the open door of the hut the bed was covered with a clean white sheet and the body arrayed in a long white nightdress brought by milly lay there so very still quiet and lifelike that one could scarcely realize the presence of death the expression of exhaustion fatigue and anxiety which the face had latterly worn had given place to one of tender rest shaded by a sort of mysterious awe as if the closed eyes were looking on unutterable things the soul though sunk below the horizon of existence had thrown back a twilight upon the face radiant as that of the evening heavens by the head of the bed the little girl was sitting dressed carefully and her curling hair parted in front apparently fresh from the brush and the little boy was sitting beside her his round blue eyes bearing an expression of subdued wonder 
Cripps was sitting at the foot of the bed, evidently much the worse for liquor, for, spite of the exhortation of Tiff, he had applied to the whiskey jug immediately on his departure. Why not? He was uncomfortable, gloomy, and every one under such circumstances naturally inclines towards some source of consolation. He who is intellectual reads and studies, he who is industrious flies to business, he who is affectionate seeks friends, he who is pious religion, but he who is none of these, what has he but his whiskey? Cripps made a stupid staring inclination toward Nina and Harry as they entered, and sat still, twirling his thumbs and muttering to himself. The sunshine fell through the panes on the floor, and there came floating in from without the odor of flowers and the song of birds. All the father's gentle messengers spoke of comfort, but he, as a deaf man, heard not, as a blind man did not regard. For the rest, an air of neatness had been imparted to the extreme poverty of the room by the joint efforts of Milly and Tiff. Tiff entered softly and stood by Nina as she gazed. He had in his hand several sprays of white jessamine, and he laid one on the bosom of the dead. She had a hard walk of it, he said, but she's got home. Don't she look peaceful, poor lamb? The little thoughtless gay coquette had never looked on a sight like this before. She stood with a fixed, tender thoughtfulness, unlike her usual gaiety, her riding hat hanging carelessly by its strings from her hands, her loose hair drooping over her face. She heard someone entering the cottage, but she did not look up. She was conscious of someone looking over her shoulder and thought it was Harry. "'Poor thing, how young she looks,' she said, "'to have had so much trouble.' Her voice trembled and a tear stood in her eye. There was a sudden movement. She looked up and Clayton was standing by her. She looked surprised and the color deepened in her cheek, but was too ingenuously and really in sympathy with the scene before her even to smile. She retained his hand a moment and, turning to the dead, saying in an undertone, See here. I see, he said. Can I be of service? The poor thing died last night, said Nina. I suppose someone might help about a funeral. Harry, she said, walking softly toward the door and speaking low, you provide a coffin. Have it made neatly. Uncle, she said, motioning Tiff towards her, where would they have her buried? Buried, said Tiff. Oh, Lord, buried. And he covered his face with his hard hands, and the tears ran through his fingers. Lord, Lord, well, it must come, I know, but tears like I couldn't. Law, she's so beautiful. Don't today, don't. Indeed, Uncle, said Nina tenderly. I'm sorry I grieved you, but you know, poor fellow, that must come. I've known her ever since she's dead high, said Tim. Her hair was curly, and she used to wear such pretty red shoes, and come running after me in the garden. Tiff, Tiff, she used to say, and there she is now, and troubles brought her there. Lord, what a pretty gal she was, pretty as you be, Miss Nina. But since she married at thar, pointing with his thumb over his shoulder and speaking confidentially, everything went wrong. Eyes held her up, did all I could, and now here she is. Perhaps, Nina said, 
laying her hand on his. Perhaps she's in a better place than this. Oh, Lord, that she is. She told me that when she died. She saw the Lord at last. She did so. Them's her last words. Tiff, she says, I'll see him, and he will give me rest. Tiff, she says, I'd been asleep, you know, and I kind of felt something cold on my hand, and I woke up right sudden, and there she was, her eyes so bright, looking at me and breathing so hard, and all she says was, Tiff, I've seen him, and I know now why I've suffered so. He's going to take me and give me rest. Then, my poor fellow, you ought to rejoice that she is safe. Indeed I does, said Tiff. Yet I's selfish. I wants to be there too, I does. Only I has the children to care for. Well, my good fellow, said Nina, we must leave you now. Harry will see about a coffin for your poor mistress, and whenever the funeral is to be, our carriage will come over, and we will all attend. Lord bless you, Miss Gordon. That are too good on you. My heart's been most broke, thinking nobody cared for my poor young mistress. You's too good, that you is. Then, drawing near to her and sinking his voice, he said, About the morning, Miss Nina. He ain't no count, you know. But he can see how tis with him, very plain. But Missus was a patent, you know, and I's a patent, too. I naturally feels responsibility he couldn't be spected for, too. I's took the ribbons off of Miss Fanny's bonnet and done the best I could trimming it up with black crepe what Miss Millie gave me. And I's got a band of black crepe on Master Teddy's hat, and I allowed to put one on mine. But there wasn't quite enough. You know, Missus, old family servants always wears mourning. If Missus just be pleased to look over my work. Now, this year is Miss Fanny's bonnet. You know, I can't be expected for to make it like a milliner. They are very well indeed, Uncle Tiff. Perhaps, Miss Nina, you can kind of touch it over? Oh, if you like, Uncle Tiff, I'll take them all home and do them for you. Oh, Lord bless you, Miss Gordon. That dart was just what I wanted, but I was most afraid to ask you. Some gay young ladies don't like to handle black. Ah, oh, Uncle Tiff, I've no fears of that sort. So put it in the wagon and let Millie take it home. So saying, she turned and passed out of the door where Harry was standing holding the horses. A third party might have seen, by the keen, rapid glance with which his eye rested upon Clayton, that he was measuring the future probability which might make him the arbiter of his own destiny, the disposer of all that was dear to him in life. As for Nina, although the day before a thousand fancies and coquetries would have colored the manner of her meeting Clayton, yet now she was so impressed by what she had witnessed that she scarcely appeared to know that she had met him. She placed her pretty foot on his hand and let him lift her onto the saddle, scarcely noticing the act, except by a serious, graceful inclination of her head. One great reason of the ascendancy which Clayton had thus far gained over her was that his nature, so quiet, speculative, and undemonstrative, always left her such perfect liberty to follow the more varying moods of her own. 
a man of a different mode would have sought to awake her out of the trance would have remarked on her abstracted manner or rallied her on to silence clayton merely mounted his horse and rode quietly by her side while harry passing on before them was soon out of sight end of chapter ten the preparation